hands me the megaphone. And I said, there is no justice without Jesus. As soon as I said the name Jesus, you would have thought that somebody had fired shots. It was wild. I said the name of Jesus and suddenly the crowd of 800 began to, to, to run. Hello and welcome to the Together podcast. It's a conversation about faith, justice and how to change the world. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Jonathan Tremaine Thomas, founder and CEO of Civil Righteousness. This is an amazing organisation bringing spiritual, cultural and economic renewal through reconciling justice and righteousness. I know you're all looking forward to the episode, but one last thing before we start. We, as We Are Tear Fund, are hosting a six-week leadership programme for 16 to 23-year-olds providing a fast-track online course connecting faith and justice. It's called Emerging Influencers and it enables you to connect with like-minded game changers, helps you develop a theological understanding of justice and equips you to positively impact people living in poverty. We're covering topics like biblical justice and development, activism, entrepreneurship, becoming an influencer, communicating a biblical call for justice, racial justice and leadership and prayer. Applications are now open but they close on Sunday the 6th of February 2022 so make sure you don't miss out. It's time for our link up section where we link up the connection between faith and justice whilst chatting to one of you or someone new. And today, guys, I just want to say firstly, welcome, but also a massive welcome to our new guest on this podcast. It is Scarlett. We're so excited to have her on the podcast. She makes podcasts herself, so she's pretty much a podcasting queen. So Scarlett, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, thanks, guys. I'm so happy to be here. Very exciting. Yeah, I'm Scarlett. I'm 22. I'm currently a youth worker, also doing a bit of work in the media at the moment. That's it. Not really much to say, if I'm honest. I love it. What's like a fun fact about yourself? Like, what do you eat for cereal? What's your favourite cereal? You know what? Recently, I've got a bit of crunchy nut, crunchy nut clusters. So they're kind of like an in-between stage of like children's cereal, but adult granola. So I think I'm like kind of getting the perfect balance in life. Yeah, yeah, you're calling it adult granola, but is it really adult granola? <laughs> I mean, it's it doesn't look like a cornflake. So to me, that's yeah. adult granola, mate. Like, I'm all here for it. I love that. Yeah. I think I get the one which is like with little chocolate bits as well. It's even more childish, isn't it? Mm, that's, yeah, that's it, Sandeep. But today, guys, we're going to be looking at our New Year's and chatting about our New Year's resolutions. Uh, we've just started 2022. We're like two or three weeks in at the point where we're recording this. Guys, what are your New Year's resolutions? Have you got any? Yeah, I, you know what? I never say I've got a resolution, but I say I've always got either a word for, for the year mm-hmm. or some like goals that I want to try and achieve throughout the year. So um, it was on New Year's Eve, actually. I was driving to Wales with my brother and sister-in-law for a little surf trip. And um, we were talking about it. And they were saying, like, Scarlett, what's your goals? And I honestly was like, don't don't ask me. Like, I I don't really have a clue right now. So I was brainstorming it. So one of them is to drive to Wales by myself. Yeah. You know, just to kick it off. Very independent. You know, just, uh, I'm, I'm a new... I'm a new person on the road, so, you know, it's got to build up the confidence. What's your word for the year? Yeah, what's your word? Well, without sounding, like, too philosophical... We love it. We love it. We want philosophy. (laughs) It's literally just the word, go, dot, dot, dot. 
I love wow, that. year of go. That's powerful. Especially in the past year, in the past three years, you know, there's been so much going on and that's resulted in so much anxiety and so much, I think, a lot of self-doubt for a lot of individuals. And I've definitely experienced that. So for me, I really want this year to encapsulate a time where I'm not second guessing everything I'm doing and I'm trusting my like instincts and kind of just going with the flow just like going and and getting on with life and trying to live as freely as possible so I really like that that's really inspiring I love it yeah that's really cool Anna what are your new year's (laughs) resolutions have you got any I want to run a half marathon (gasps) currently Currently, I'm on 4K, so, you know, going up to, like, 22K is going to be quite hard. But I want to do that. And then, yeah, this is just a more casual one, but I like writing letters to people. So I'm going to try to write a letter a week to, like, a different friend and encourage them about what's going on. (laughs) My love language is words of affirmation, so... (laughs) My one, what I've got for this year, I've got two. One One is to consume less McDonald's, which... I'm already bossing that because I haven't had a McDonald's yet during this year. So oh, I'm kind but of... But have, have you gone to like KFC or no, something? I've actually, no, no, I actually haven't. <laughs> okay. I've been really good. I've, I'm like, so I'm trying to consume less McDonald's because I used to have it so much last year. Like it was an absolute joke because we have one really close to my house. Yes, And then mate, my other on. one is to, I want to get back into like a rhythm with God. I like to do, I'm not a morning person at all. But something I did during lockdown was getting up early for an hour to start my day with God. And that was something that was so helpful to me, even though I'm not a morning person. It was a real struggle and sacrifice. Mm. But it's something I want to get in the routine of again. So I've started that up again, like from last week, which has been good. And I started like in the middle of the week. Because they always say if you start on a Monday, most likely you're not going to carry on that. So I started randomly like on a Wednesday and I've been keeping it up so far which has been nice and it just sets me up good for the day so obviously when we start new years we always talk about hopes and dreams and things like that so we're going to talk about it too (laughs) but what are you guys hopeful for (laughs) what are you guys hopeful for in Mm. 2022 and it can be as small or as big as you want to go with it as well because sometimes Mm -hmm. it can get hard to hope for things when you've experienced disappointments the years before in 2020 and 2021 I think they've mm. been pretty like well, twenty twenty was just horrific. Um twenty twenty one was like slightly better, but even that's a push. Um but what are you <laughs> hopeful for this year? The sense of hope in Generation Z at the moment. But I look at I look at the young people in in the world at the moment, in the UK, wherever, and it is so hard going. And I'm a youth worker, so I work with young people most days. Also, it doesn't take a genius to just acknowledge that there's like mad pressures from every direction of life mm. hitting up, you know, the, the younger generations right now, whether that's social pressures educational pressures social media pressures just like there's so much stuff that's getting fired at them and it can be really hard to for young people to find their identity and to kind of be confident in who that who they are and the decisions they make so for me I really really would love to feel a sense of hope in the younger generation at the moment and I think that kind of starts with everyone because it's how we engage with them and I'm seeing a lot more of my friends and people in churches like stepping out into like gifting calling like starting up podcasts being like you know I'm going to do the small business or I'm going to do that because I feel a prompting from like the Holy Spirit and whatever happens like I'll just try it 
And I think like I would love, I think I would be really hopeful to see people who like don't do the thing because it's like done as a Christian, but they do it because they like know their like inheritance as like a child and as like someone that God's like spoken to and then step out in that. So like, I want to see Christians doing things that we've never thought Christians would do, you know, and just like leading in that being, you know, I want to see a Christian become, you know, prime minister of the UK. I don't know when that will happen or if it will, but like, Mm -hmm. I want to see Christians like be like, God is too powerful and is too much for us to like hold back mic drop (laughs) i second that i second that drop that mic no it's so true but scarlett any final words you'd like to leave with our community just go for it now i think it sounds so cliche and i didn't think i'd be the person to say this phrase but there's no time like the present and like i've just had this realization i've had this realization like i'm 22 i'm alive why not yes i love that I really love that. Anna, anything to add? Just, yeah, Scarlett, let us know your Instagram handles or podcasts, you know. Yeah, so um, I've got a podcast called Mind Over Mirrors and it kind of, well, it discusses the mental health crisis within Gen Z um, and ways of uh, living freely, whether that's socially, um, just, yeah, within the crazy culture that we live in. So that's on Spotify and it's literally just Mind Over Mirrors. Uh, and then on Instagram, again, it's Mind Over Mirrors. And yeah, there's lots of new content coming out this year. So it'd be great to find you there. <laughs> so thanks so much, Scarlett, for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. And you've been such a joy to listen to. And you've dropped some wisdom, guys. The word for us all this year. Yeah, the word for us all in our community is go. So guys, go. But don't leave yet because I've got one more thing to tell you. <laughs> so if you're listening at home and you want to submit a question to us, then do head to our We Are Tear Fund uh, community. And um, you can get us on Instagram at We Are Tear Fund and send us a DM on there with your question. Or you can leave us a voicemail as well, asking a question or just simply sharing your thoughts. Hello and welcome to our plug-in section. This is where we plug into what's going on in the world offering a perspective based on our faith. Now, with lots going on in the world, from talks of lockdown and continued coronavirus to climate change and court cases, we just wanted to take a moment to pause. And we wanted to do something, which is to remember the legacy of Desmond Tutu, who sadly recently died at the age of 90. So we thought it'd be a great idea to have a look at his life and kind of chat about the things that he's done in the world and how it's affected us and how his faith shaped what he did and accomplished. So, guys, Matt and Anna, I can't believe it personally. What are your mm. thoughts? Yeah, he was an absolutely amazing man. So I'll just give you, the listeners, a bit of background about Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And he helped bring down apartheid in South Africa using his voice. He became a leading advocate for peaceful reconciliation. Uh, he was also one of the driving forces towards ending racial segregation and discrimination enforced by the white minority government against the black majority in South Africa from 1948 until 1991. Uh, His voice was a powerful force for non-violence in the anti-apartheid movement, earning him a Nobel Peace Prize in 1984. And, And as chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, he gathered testimony documenting the viciousness of apartheid, saying it was necessary to open the wound and cleanse it and that people will be offered amnesty and creating restorative justice. So yeah, there's just some of the things that he did over his life. 
something that's really powerful about him is I think the fact that he can like see into a situation and then can see the like God perspective on it so for example in like the reconciliation and healing like he's he wants to open back up the wound to cleanse it like fully so to bring this like full healing from the Lord and also like I was reading on his obituary where it talks about like he didn't want to just do retributive justice it was about restorative justice Mm -hmm. so he wanted to do like the fullness of what justice looked like yeah and what he was doing but yeah just really want to honor his legacy in South Africa yeah yeah when I heard when I've heard the news that he passed away like my my initial first thoughts was man he was one of the good guys because you know within church of england and within the church globally like you it's a, it's a messy place isn't it and i think you you know we're, we're full of messy people but I, I, when i think of desmond tutu and all these things that he achieved in terms of uh, racial justice and making a difference in south africa like he was one of the like like top leaders in in changing things and and I think it's just testament hearing all those things that Matt just read out of how God worked in him and through him in his 90 years and yeah man he was one of the good guys that's all I kept thinking when I'd heard that he passed it's a big loss to our world to lose someone like this but his legacy lives on and I think what he's achieved has affected millions of people who can live so much more safely now Mm. and I think that's something that's really powerful that he gets to leave here for us to kind of carry on and yeah and his integrity as well like when he criticized the African National Congress and that meant that he couldn't go to Nelson Mandela's funeral and just the fact that like he was so against like violent or like armed Mm. forces that that would be the sacrifice he'd have to make it's just like he's so consistent in his pursuit of what he like thinks is right the whole of mm. the public can understand why he wasn't invited but yeah just like that integrity as well in so many leaders that like they've always got this like hidden agenda or something I think his integrity is something really to be praised yeah and I was watching a an interview of just some people talking about him and someone said that he was a priest first and every action that he took started with prayer, get direction from God, and then he would move on it. And yeah, I think throughout this year, definitely for me, I want to make prayer more central in, in my walk with God. We will hear later on about the importance of prayer, but yeah. Right. Well, it's nice to remember the legacy of Desmond Tutu and all that he did with changing things in the world and actually building reconciliation with between races um, and in racial justice and now we're going to be listening to another person who is still doing this today and that is Jonathan Tremaine so Anna interviewed him so we're going to have a little listen to that so enjoy it guys yeah hi everyone it's yeah I'm really excited I'm joined with Jonathan Tremaine Thomas he has been someone that's really marked my life so I'm really excited to be able to share that with you guys as well but he is the founder and CEO of Civil Righteousness which is a justice organization that also connects to righteousness which I think is a really powerful unity that reflects the kingdom and the reign of Jesus Christ also what I found out today is that you have your own soul coffee roasters business which is really exciting but then you're also an artist preacher leader prophet and yeah just connecting all of that in faith and justice so yeah is there any other kind of pies that you got your fingers in to share well just that I'm a husband and a father of a 10 year old and she keeps me on my toes and it's just wonderful to uh to have a family and to be a part of the family of God so excited Mm -hmm. to be here thank you for having me yeah no worries it's our pleasure and joy yeah I guess we could start with civil righteousness what is it how did you found it what's been the journey of that and yeah where do you hope to bring it in the future 
Yeah, well, civil righteousness really began as a, a message in my heart. In 2014, a little town in the center of America uh, called Ferguson, Missouri, it exploded with civil unrest because a, a young black man had been killed by a police officer. And really that moment kind of tipped our whole nation and indeed various parts of the world into a justice conversation, the likes of which we hadn't seen probably since, you know, the civil rights movement era of the 1960s. And during that time, I began to really just engage my heart physically on the ground here in Ferguson and then beyond as other cities began to kind of be gripped and faced with the conversations I was invited in. And I found that there was just a deep kind of emphasis on justice, you know, that the, the buzzword of justice really kind of gripped the culture. But as I was looking at Jesus and looking at the type of justice that he brings, you know, I saw that even in the historical biblical context, the Romans were oppressing the Jewish people and the zealots were beginning, beginning to kind of emerge and they were looking for Jesus to come as this great liberation leader who would physically kind of tear down with his hands and his and with his sword they, they thought he was going to tear down the Roman Empire through external action or justice but really Jesus came to tear down the empire of oppression internally through the transformation of hearts and and that's where for me I go wow we cannot have justice without righteousness and we need to be especially as believers, we need to be championing the, the righteousness of God, the right way, the, the way of God in pursuing justice, just as much as we are engaged in the physical work of justice. And so civil righteousness was a message that then uh, began to grow and become, in many senses, a movement that is helping the church really steward the ministry of reconciliation and engage in the work of restorative justice in various ways through holy activism, through economic and spiritual and cultural renewal uh, in our cities and in our world. Wow. Yeah. Amen to all of that. I mean, it sounds like it's a tall order, but also no God is the God of the impossible. So practically, what would that look like? Like what is holy activism? What is economic cultural renewal? Yeah. So we kind of coined the term holy activism because anytime there's injustice or anytime people have experienced a certain measure of, of offense, you know, when I say offense, sin being the ultimate offense, we offend the, the character and the nature of God. But then when that nature of God gets violated at an individual level or a corporate level through legislation or through the violation of the image of God in people. To me, that's what injustice is. It's a violation of God himself, but it's as embodied within a people or within a cultural expression or a society. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, there's, a, there's an offense that happens not only in the natural, but in the spirit. And so when that offense happens in the natural, the, the, the carnal mind, just in our humanity, we want to do something, right? We want to, we want to say something about it. We want to be present. We want to engage. And so protest is the, the clearest uh, form of the easiest and most accessible form of engagement for many people in our day. But protest was something that originated from 
the body of Christ. It actually, the, the civil rights movement in many ways uh, in the 60s was led by the church, at least here in America, but we've seen protests all over the world, right? Um, throughout history. And it was a strategy and an opportunity for people to engage and express their emotion, express their, their pain, whatever it might, might be. But in many regards today, the protest movements have not been led by the church. And therefore, when it comes to activism, which activism extends far beyond just the streets, but in a moment of activism, the, the loudest voice today in our world of activism is are the protest movements and the justice movements that are being led, not necessarily by the church. And so we began to ask that question, what, what does holy activism look like? where it's not fueled by rage, it's not fueled by agendas that don't align with the heart of God and are not necessarily motivated primarily by the love of God. And one of the things the Lord gave us as a strategy for physically being present in the places of pain was to do a prayer meeting. We, we do this prayer meeting that looks like a protest, but we're standing before God and standing before the spiritual forces of wickedness in the unseen realm, but we're standing in the place of conflict physically, maybe in the middle of a, a riot zone, or maybe in a place where uh, what we call an altar of pain, where something has happened historically that caused a breach in the spirit. And we go in there through prayer, we go in there with humility and with a multi-ethnic and a multicultural presence, and we stand in the places of pain with tape on our mouths and on the piece of tape, we write what our burden is, what, what the summary is of our prayers. And we stand before God and we say, Lord, have mercy on us and come and change the spiritual atmosphere of where we are. That's one form of holy activism that we do. Wow. Um, and then we, we also do other things. You know, we believe that we need to, as believers, identify where the gaps are uh, in the culture, the gap between uh, the fall and the sinfulness of, sinfulness of man and the righteousness of God. And we want to run into that gap, whether it's in the educational system, whether it's in the uh, political systems, whether it's in the economic structures of our communities, or physically, whether it's just between the angry, uh, offended, violated person and the offender. We want to run into that gap and be reconcilers because that's what Jesus did and what he does. Mm, yeah, and I feel like there's often not a lot of space for mediation with so many polarized views or just cancel culture. So yeah, to be able to step into that. And I think also mediation can only really come from the spirit reconciling through. It's, it's It needs like a supernatural infusion, I think, to really do it. So yeah, that just sounds incredible. Absolutely. And do you have like stories of because I guess sometimes people's barrier to prayer is like they need to know that it's worked or that something's happened for them to do it, even though it's super important. So I guess, yeah, do you have stories of like you've been someone you've you felt the atmosphere change or that you've seen not, not just for like results, but just like five years later, you know that that city is different because you stood in the gap and you were there? Absolutely. You know, the, the thing about prayer is that it doesn't it doesn't change God. It changes us. Right. It, it's this, mm. it brings our hearts into alignment with his heart. And I, I can say two examples. For one, me personally, when uh, George Floyd was killed in 2020 in Minneapolis, 
I saw the video of him losing his life under the knee of the police officer. And I personally was so enraged. I, and I'm, I'm not easily angered. That doesn't happen to me. I, I'm a pretty even kill guy. And when I, when I do get angry, I can usually pull it back pretty quickly. But the, the longer those images played in my mind, the angrier I became. And mm -hmm. I knew that, that I needed an outlet for this, for this growing kind of boiling point on the inside. And so I went before the Lord and I said, God, I, am, I can't sleep tonight. I'm so enraged. And as I began to release my burden to the Lord, just keep talking to him and staying in his presence and refusing to do something. Because a lot of times we're motivated by our emotions, you know, and our, our, our emotional reactions to things can cause problems. Um, and there's nothing wrong with emotion, but it's emotion that is harnessed in and rooted in the leadership of heaven. That's what we're after. And that's what prayer does. It becomes this, this uh, cathartic way for us to, to give to Jesus our burdens and then allow him from a place of, of peace with him. Peace I live, leave with you. Peace I give to you, says Jesus. Not as the world gives. This is not a peace we can just talk to one another or get on social media and find echo chambers of agreement to to uh, to settle, but we need to access the peace of God. So in prayer, I've seen the Lord release supernatural shalom. Even when we have every reason to be upset, wow. there's something that changes in us first. And that, that really hits on Joel 2 in Joel chapter 2, where it says, rend your heart and not your garments. Break, tear your heart first before you tear your, your clothes, which is what in ancient Hebrew culture is what would be done in a time of grief or mourning. You get bad news and you immediately tear your clothes. And today our, our tendency is we see an injustice or we see something bad and we go, well, what, what do we need to tear? What structure do we tear down? Uh, what person do we tear apart? What people group do we tear apart? And God says, no, let, let me tear your heart and let me fill you with divine supernatural peace and love then from the place of love, you can go into the place of conflict and actually be useful for the kingdom. And so the second story, and I know these are long answers, but the second- No, I'm loving it. <laughs> is, you know, we saw, I, I have some incredible stories from about seven years ago, but even recently, uh, last year with the civil unrest, we went in with the goal of being peacemakers to bring the presence of God in the places of conflict and starting back seven years ago in Ferguson, Missouri, there was one night in particular that was called a night of resistance against police brutality. And there were about 800 protesters taking to the streets of Ferguson. And the Lord very clearly directed me and my team to uh, go in just a, a small group of a small group of us to go in and to stand between the activists and between the police and just to talk to Jesus. And we had one guy on an acoustic guitar and he's playing acoustic guitar while a crowd of maybe, I mean, conservatively seven to 800 people were marching up the street, yelling, you know, chanting and yelling obscene, kind of obscene uh, things about the police. So we're standing there and this group of people come 
up to us and the leader of, of the crowd walks up to me and he says, hey, you guys are too loud. Are you with us or are you against us? Because, you know, we're out here fighting for justice and we can't tell whose side you're on. And he says, you're too loud. We can't, we can't hold our chant together. But there, was, there were about 800 of them and 40 of us. And yeah. out of the 40 of us, about, I'd say 30 of us were silently talking to Jesus in prayer. And one of our guys was on an acoustic guitar, non-electrified, and probably eight to 10 were singing a worship song with him. So eight to 10 people in an acoustic guitar were overpowering the sound of 800 people That's yelling crazy. and chanting. And so he came up to me and he said, this is, you guys are too loud. And he said, whose side are you on? And I said, brother, we're, we're on the side of Jesus. And he's, he's for the police and he's for you. He's the God of justice. And uh, as I was talking to him, one of his leaders, protest leaders had a megaphone and she walks up to me and says, that's it, I'm done. She was frustrated, hands me the megaphone. And I said, I, you know, I'm just kind of looking at what's happening. So I took it and I said, there is no justice without Jesus. I said that into the megaphone. Wow. And as soon as I said the name Jesus, you would have thought that somebody had fired shots as if bullets were flying. It was wild. I said the name of Jesus and suddenly the crowd of 800 began to, to, to run as if for their lives. I mean, they Yay. ran in all different directions except for probably three or 400. So half the crowd scatters and the other half stands there and they're listening to me. So I just keep just going. I said, there's no justice without Jesus. The police need Jesus. We need Jesus. Turn your life over. He's the one who frees us. And I realized that that, that rhyme. Such a good rhyme as well. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. rhyme. So it turned into this rap. And next thing you know, the spirit of God begins falling on the crowd. Police officers were giving their lives to Jesus. Activists were giving their lives to Jesus. You could see the Holy Spirit just moving through the crowd. And the whole atmosphere shifted that night and became basically like a, an altar call for revival in the middle of the city on the street. Uh, and there are so many testimonies. That was seven years ago. We've seen that over and over again, uh, where the police officers, not only here in Ferguson, but in other cities who heard what we did, uh, began to reach out to us and say, hey, we don't know why this works, but can you get your Jesus people, they call this here on the scene, because when you guys are present, um, the atmosphere is different, you know, it changes. And so we've mm. seen this very real um, manifestation of the peace of God and the presence of God governing in atmospheres of chaos. And I believe this is Matthew 5, 4, where it says, blessed are the sons uh, of, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. This is part of our inheritance and our portion. I mean, it's just so, it's so amazing. That's so incredible. Because I think, you know, some Christians are worried about if you get out with a worship song, you're going to be those like weird Jesus people who like, you know, you're going to be that cringy church that like isn't really involved in society. But you right. still stayed like so fundamental to what Jesus had called you, but you were able to reconcile both sides. And if you hadn't have gone, you never would have known whether that would have happened or not. So it's just being obedient to where the spirit was leading. That is an amazing testimony. Thank you. Yeah, we, it, it's been amazing. And I think that's the key. It's not that we're just saying stay in our safe places and safe spaces. And whenever you see unrest, try to calm people down. That's not it. Shalom, peace 
peace biblically is shalom, wholeness and healing. And so we go in as peacemakers, not peacekeepers. We're not trying to just keep peace, but we wanna bring the shalom, the governing presence of God into our cities, into our cultures, into our communities, into our villages and our towns, into our conversations in a way that I, I believe prayer is the doorway, the gate that, that we enter in through prayer and praise, worship. You know, I give you a spirit of praise for heaviness and some of the heaviness that surrounds justice issues and justice conversations can be crushing. But that's why we have to cultivate, I believe in our own hearts, a, a worshipful lifestyle and a, and a praise filled perspective that even in the rough and the, in the tumble and the hard, the hardships and the complexity and nuance of so many of the justice related conversations that Jesus is worthy and mm. he, he has redeemed for himself a people out of every tribe, tongue and nation, out of every socioeconomic class and condition. And we go to and we serve because of his worth. And so we're praising him and then we're going into the gaps and being useful for him and to him in those spaces uh, long-term, not just on the streets, but around the various tables of mediation and negotiation and conciliation that, that we need to be present in. Mm. And I feel it's a bit like Gideon where, you know, he might not have known what would happen, but even though if he felt like his army was small, if the battle's already won for the Lord, then, I mean, and it sounds like you guys are like spiritual giants anyway, but just it wasn't about <laughs> how many of you, you know, if it's only eight to right. 10 singing, eight to 10 right. worshiping, like the Lord can still use that for his plans. It, it can be two to three, you know, and that's, that's the key is anything that we ask in his name, agreeing in his name, it, it will be done. But the prerequisite for, you know, the peace of God being made manifest is that we have to show up. And so I think 95% of the battle is being present. Will we say yes to God and show up and not just show up once, but to stay, stay at the table? You know, will we stay and prevail in love, love which bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. The work that we're called to in advancing the kingdom of God, which is founded on righteousness and justice, it's a work of endurance. You know, it's not easy mm. to sit in a room filled with people who you don't like or who don't like you, <laughs> who view the world or view you very differently. It's, it's not easy to stay, but one of the marks of agape and unconditional love is that it's, it's covenantal. It's not something that can easily be broken. In fact, God is God doesn't break covenant. And so I think he he really wants us in our generation and in the times that we live as believers to show forth covenantal love. You know, that's John 17, unity and oneness mm. and commitment, you know, as we'll stay, stay engaged, keep our hearts unoffended and show up in the places of conflict, uh, no matter what it may cost us. Mm. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is really encouraging. This has been something I've been thinking about as well, about love persevering and what that looks like. So in this process of discerning that you talked about, have you felt led to just be 
a presence in the middle like producing peace and like sharing what the Lord was like doing well I guess I've seen you do other things like when you've had times of like washing of just the word or like times of repentance or times and I think that's the prophetic I guess element to it as well is like working out what what has gone wrong in the spirit and how can I then prophesy and declare like this life and this newness and this redemption into it would you give tools to discern that or yeah how do you do that in community how do you do that for yourself so that yeah so that we can do it as well in any space that we're in well I would say first we we definitely need to understand history one of the things every intercessor who's effective in in my view has to have some value for the way of God in terms of generational blessing, generational curse, generational purpose. What we live in today, the situations that we find ourselves in are a direct fruit of a historical root. And so becoming students of history, either in the space that we've been called to or in the place that we live is key for informed uh, prophetic action and informed Mm. intercession. You know, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 58, that we will repair uh, the desolations of many generations. God actually desires for us not to address what we see today from, from a temporal viewpoint, but from really the perspective of heaven. And so I would say for me, a studying history, working to be informed in our engagement, what is the historical root? B, how do, how do we enter into the reparation of the, the historical breach? And so we do that in the spirit. We cannot necessarily go back and change what happened 50 years ago with our physical bodies, but we can go in the spirit and say, okay, Lord, what, what did this open into mm-hmm. our culture today? What gates in the spirit were open and how do we begin to shut those gates? You know, what is, and that's where we speak the opposite. You know, we, you talked about declaration. We begin to declare not just, so the reconciliation of all things is not just the reconciliation of, you know, male to female, black to white, you know, uh, it's not just Jew to Gentile today, but it's the reconciliation of our past to God. God, where were you in this? What was your original intent? Is the reconciliation of our present to God. Okay, God, what are you saying and doing today? And what is redemption of this look like and then it's the reconciliation of our present to our future god where is this going what should we believing for in hope how do we prophesy and speak the destiny and the redemption Mm. of these cycles and these situations so that that is one way that for us as a community even now we have several folks in our community we're all reading a particular book about the history of our city and we're discussing this together and then we're getting together and praying about and praying into some of the things that have happened and then we're asking the lord for strategy okay what is the legacy of some of these legislative decisions that were made and what would you call us to to do or to create in order to run into those gaps. So if it's housing equity issues in prayer, we don't, we don't just with our own imaginations come up with, hey, we're, we're gonna go buy 10 houses and restore them and, and empower people mm. to become homeowners. Although that sounds great, we wanna get the strategy from heaven on what is the responsibility that we have physically to take what we've received by revelation 
what is our invitation now to engage mm. it in a practical way with the resources that we have or the resources that God wants to release to us or through us to address this. And I think if we, if we begin to do those things, become students, seek the Lord for the wisdom of heaven and the way of mm. heaven, and then be practically be obedient, whatever God tells you to do, no matter how preposterous it sounds or impossible it seems, run with him in faith after that and watch him do miracles uh, in, in your midst. And you've seen them. So I believe that, yeah, it will happen. I guess that calling to be like a mediator, it sounds as if the way that you lead or you lead with your team as well is mediating between like the supernatural and the natural. So it's not just this revelation that stays in the secret place or that you guys pray about and declare, but it's then it leads to this strategy in the natural that isn't just good, but it's like God given. And I love that because sometimes I feel like people who are prophetic get written off as being a bit like kooky or like people can't fully understand it or people want to pray for ages. Oh, you're just like those type of Christians and like we'll just do our social justice thing. But the fact that you bring it together and you see miracles and you see revival, but you also see justice. I think that's just so incredible. Like I don't, I don't often I'm not often part of movements that are like part of both. And I love what you said as well about like the church needing to be the ones who are like at the front and leading in that and pioneering that. So I guess like to the young people who are in churches, like from our experience, we them have said like they've been asking their church to speak out more about justice issues. And it just feels like they don't get that response. And I think sometimes it feels like there's you know, the evangelists and the apostles who do this and they build churches or there's the prophets who kind of intercede. And then there's the teachers and the pastors who do that. But actually when righteousness and justice comes together and the fivefold comes together and everyone steps out in their part in the body, it all becomes this really beautiful connection that is diverse and is different. Like we all, you know, we all move with like different minds, but in one accord bound by the spirit. Probably quite a long winded question, but I guess, yeah, from your pro- like prophetic insight and from your justice work, what would you say to young people to really like thrive in what they're called to and be what we need in that unity and reconciliation? That, that's a great question. I think, first of all, when we look at Isaiah 42, Jesus, that passage, I love Isaiah 42. uh, It describes Jesus as justice. It describes him as the suffering servant, but the one who is zealous to bring justice to the nations. He, He will not slumber. He will not sleep. But it also says two things. It says, one, a bruised reed he will not break a bruised reed. And it's interesting because what we've seen is the pain of the nations come to the forefront. And many young people are getting offended at the church because, A, like you said, they don't see spiritual leaders talking about these issues that everyone's passionate about. They don't see spiritual leaders talking about it enough, or they see spiritual leaders kind of dismissing the significance of the pain. And so that's breaking the bruised reed. We are the bruised reed, right? We're the ones Mm. that are bruised. And a bruise, interestingly, is an injury on the internal, not the external. So the bruise on the outside is an indication of some some trauma and there's an injury on the inside. So Jesus says, I'm not gonna break the bruised reed. And so for our spiritual leaders, it's critical not to be dismissive. But secondly, He says, a dimly burning wick I will not extinguish. In other words, the church is the light of the land, the world. But if the wick is dim, so if the church is not burning very brightly 
on the issues of justice, the knee-jerk reaction for young people can be, well, they're not talking about it enough. They're not doing enough. So I'm going to go find somebody who is, and, and we're exchanging the light of the world, even though it may be dim in your context, we're exchanging it for a false light, for a flashlight, mm, <laughs> you so know, maybe, maybe a flashlight that's exposing and shining a light on all these issues, but it doesn't have the fire of God. It's not burning. It's just an artificial light. And so the fire of God that, that the church carries is the only thing that can purify, you know, fire. Mm. It's Jesus is prophesied. John the Baptist says, there's one who is coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And that's purifying fire. And we're to carry that purifying fire, even if we're in a community where the fire is only barely burning. So my mm. encouragement is do not let your heart be offended with the church. Um, we cannot exit the family of God in exchange for some superficial or you know, there are great justice movements that aren't necessarily rooted in biblical, aren't consciously rooted in biblical truth, but those things will never bring us into the purity and the wholeness of the truth of God. And so we have to be, in particular, young, young adults, I would, I would just encourage you, um, guard your heart against being offended with your spiritual community um, and maybe if you are navigating through some of those more culture, more spaces in the culture, but you're also rooted in the church, maybe you're there to be the bridge. Uh, you know, a lot of the church just does not know. A lot of leaders in the church do not know where the biblical center is and don't know how to have some of these conversations without for fear of the cost, you know, and who might be offended. And so I would just say, be the bridge, <laughs> stay, mm. stay rooted and be encouraged that, you know, if you hear from the Lord and you walk in obedience and, and ask the Lord to help keep your heart in an unoffended place, um, he'll lead you into a really wide open space. And we, we have the opportunity to pioneer with the Lord, I believe, uh, in new creative ways in this in this hour of human history and the complexity of the times that we live in and the issues that we face, they aren't getting simpler. So more and more, we really need a prophetic generation who mm. uh, have the eyes to see and the ears to hear and a heart that remains tender before God and before, before man. Yeah. And that's really relevant to like my journey I was sharing a bit before about going to a very like secular university that basically dismissed any of the kind of Christian role in things. So I said to God, I was like, cool, I'm going to learn it outside of the church. I'm going to learn it outside of Christian spaces. And then I'll come back into Christian spaces and bring that. And I think he was like, no, 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 no. You need to stay in your Christian spaces. I think especially that bit in Ephesians about Jesus dying for his church. And if it's like Jesus, who's divine, can die for the brokenness of us, then so can I. And if he can love us in that way, then so can I. And I think it's, again, like having that perspective of looking at Jesus and imitating that. It's not looking at the church and imitating their brokenness or looking at society and imitating that either. But it's keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and being able to imitate that and show that. So, yeah, you really encouraged me because this is just speaking into like so many of the questions and wrestling that I went through. I think that a lot of our generation is really wrestling with of where do we find our foundation? Where do we find our trust? But I think yeah. the peace of knowing that that candle doesn't burn out, as you were saying, is just so, yeah, so encouraging. 
and also not like being led astray to a false light I think is a really good challenge yeah really good conviction well in in the kingdom of God righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne so justice is actually one of the primary attributes of Jesus and and it's it's what he came to bring on the cross, through the cross, and it's what he's coming back to bring, a kingdom, a full kingdom of righteousness and justice. Mm. So in the days ahead, this will be the primary revelation, I believe, that we will operate in as believers, that the gospel that Jesus preached was the gospel of the kingdom. A kingdom is coming with foundations. Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker is God, a city with foundations, the foundations of righteousness and justice. So the, the, the burning in our hearts for that is a holy burning. The groaning in Gen Z and millennials for justice is a holy groaning, mm. but the enemy can take that zeal for justice and pervert it so quickly if our drive is not rooted in a godly love and a godly sorrow. You know, we can become zealous for so many other issues and it can become humanistic really quickly to where it's about a general human flourishing, a general human good. Well, God didn't, Jesus didn't come for a general goodness. You know, he came for holiness and he came for his inheritance and the beauty of mm. Jesus to manifest in every society and every part of every nation of the earth. And He's redeeming and restoring the earth to a, a garden reality. You know, the perfection that was in the garden will once again be where he dwells among us and he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. So uh, I just think he's purifying everyone right now. He's purifying our hearts. He's calling us in a greater understanding of his heart and greater opportunity to partner with him and bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, and I think it's also not looking at a pandemic and only seeing the problems in it, but seeing the way he's shaking and bringing purity out of that. And that's his redemption as well. Every time I've listened to a different podcast of you or talk, you bring basically a different prophetic word. So do you want to share with everyone like the different spaces you're in or things you've been on so that they can just listen to more of you and follow you and what you're doing? Absolutely. So people can follow us on social at Civil Righteousness and also uh, myself at John Tremaine on uh, on IG. We're also our website, civilrighteousness.org. We have an app that is being sure. updated now. It hasn't been updated in a while, but we have a civil righteousness app that can be downloaded from iTunes or the Apple Store. And I've, I've made appearances on several podcasts where people can kind of uh, check out what I have to say. John Mark Comer is a good friend in a, a recent podcast that came out uh, that could be a helpful resource. Uh, I'm working on a book, so hopefully it will be out in 22. And uh, if you follow us and connect with us on social, you'll uh, know when that comes out. So I'm just thankful that I had the opportunity to be a part of this conversation with you. 
That's really cool about your book. I'm definitely going to order that. Just before we go, another thing that really touched my heart when I listened to you on Sean Bowles' podcast about your prophecy was you're saying that like your spiritual heritage, you can share that with other people. And like, so both my parents came, they were first gen Christians. And I kind of felt like I was doing like double time to like catch up with like the pastor's kids and other people, even when it comes to like prophesying, like hearing from the spirit. But I think the fact you were like, I'll share, like I'll share my anointing, I'll share my heritage with you guys, like you're part of the family. Would you be willing to like pray for the young people and just kind of share your anointing and share your passion for justice and righteousness and yeah whatever God's done with you yeah just so that we can follow you and yeah follow Jesus and what he's done through you I love that yeah I would I would be happy to do that I'll just say before I pray that we you and I we share the lineage of Christ we've been adopted into the family and um, because of what he's done we're family we, we are heirs with Christ and co-heirs with one another. And so, so I'll pray that. Father, I just thank you for the truth of the matter that in Christ, through your son, Jesus, we have become one new humanity, one global family of affection. And so I pray for every young person listening to this podcast, everyone who you have so sovereignly by your own hand appointed to be alive in this season of human history. Lord, I thank you that you raised up, even in my own physical bloodline, a lineage of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and freedom fighters, civil rights activists. Lord, those who have known you and those who have seen the heavenly vision and laid hold of it in their generation only in measure. And I thank you, God, that even though that was my own family story, that it's the story of everyone listening now who you call sons and daughters, that we've been brought forth in our generation on the lineage of the Hebrews 11 cloud of witnesses, those who by faith overcame so many obstacles and endured the, the mouths of lions. And by faith, they sought out your word and your promise, but they did not fully receive it because you had something better for us. I ask for every listener of this podcast that they would enter into the, to the glory of that which is to come, the better then. Lord, that you would cause the glory of the latter house, which you said would be greater than the former house, to rest upon Anna and all of those who are listening to this podcast that you would raise up righteousness and tear down wickedness. Father, that you would cause there to be a great chorus of worship, Lord, to explode out of every tribe, tongue, and nation as they meet you, Jesus, Lord of glory, King of righteousness. Thank you, Father, for releasing divine grace. I just ask for a double portion anointing. Anything that you put on my life, I ask that it would be released exponentially among those who are listening even as you mantled dr king dr martin luther king lord over 60 years ago god i'm asking that you would raise up lord a uh, an army of kings and priests queens sons daughters royalty in your house for the sake of your name in jesus name i pray amen amen
Amazing. Thank you so much for, yeah, just speaking, sharing prophetic voice and what you've done. Yeah, it's just, it's just been incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy. So guys, yeah, Jonathan Tremaine, what an amazing voice and perspective and Civil Rights just seems like it's an absolutely amazing organisation in what it's doing. I found that they really inspired me and kind of paved the way for what reconciling justice work together with the church, with prayer would look like. And the way he brought biblical truth in as well was just so helpful. Yeah, it's really grounded me for my justice work and what I'm looking to in the future. But I want to hear from you guys, Matt and Sandy. What did you like? What stuck out to you? What are you going to remember um, for this next year coming? I'm not going to lie. I was completely starstruck that we got Jonathan Tremaine on the, on our podcast. <laughs> I know. Reason being, I've been following um, a partnered movement, One Race Movement, which is partnered with the work they do. And I've been following it throughout the pandemic and it's inspired me so much. And when I was looking into civil righteousness movement as well and looking at what he's founded, all of it just, it just speaks so much about reconciliation. And that's where my heart's at with this. And I'm, I know that's where God's heart is at. And so when I realized that we had him on the podcast, I was a little startled. I was like, <laughs> how did we get him? It was like amazing. A few things stuck out to me. One being, I was just encouraged seeing that through their movements, they're mobilizing the church to step up in this season, to be a voice, to lead the movement against racism, uh, whether that's systemic, whether that's in our daily lives that we're seeing against individuals but to uphold the dignity of of mankind. You know, it made me think of Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement. And something I was always been inspired about with him is that he started from within the church and moved it out. And I think Mm. that's why it was so successful as it was for the time it was. But we'd lost something since Martin Luther King um, Mm. got killed. I think something got lost in the church and the movement's been picked up by people who don't know God. And so he's Mm. not included in it. Whereas when I see movements like this, God is at the forefront of it. And that is just, it, it just inspires me. It gets me excited. And it is an invitation to anybody, whether you believe in God or not, to get under something that can make massive movements um, and massive change. And I just, I loved what he said about uh, the church. And, and also really quick, the one thing that stood out that he said was when he spoke about the story of, there was about eight to 10 of them singing. Absolutely incredible. We can hear your eight to 10 people over the 800 people that yeah. are protesting. And I just could not, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, that is, that is God working through his people. Like that his voice will be magnified and those with ears will listen Mm. and just love that. It was a real powerful story that he shared. And these stories like Moses and the Red Sea parting, like Gideon who defeats it with just 300 men, um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Like it isn't just the Old Testament, like the Holy Spirit Mm. is here and like we can do that again. And I think his story about the police and the protesters and they like they met Jesus and it was like just the name of Jesus made people flee. Again, I was just like, wow, it is biblical truth. And like, if the church can't get behind God and his plans for this world, then who is? Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. Can I just grab the metaphorical microphone and say, there is no justice without Jesus. Amen. (laughs) And yeah, what I really loved about what he said was when he saw what happened to George Floyd, you know, he he was enraged. And I think the whole world was enraged. People were just so shocked by sort of how inhumane this man was treated and, and everything that happened to him. But he said that in his enraged state, he turned to prayer. At times we're driven by our emotion, our response to something, but we need to access the peace of God and let God fill you with supernatural love 
tear your heart, fill you with supernatural love so you can go into a place of conflict from a place of love. And I, I think sometimes, you know, when we've seen people respond in protest, there's been uh, a lot of anger and it's turned into uh, violence between protesters and um, police or, or buildings have been burnt down and things like that. But how can we respond in from a state of being angry and upset with love? I definitely agree that the church has perhaps uh, taken a back seat when it comes to things like justice. Uh, even sort of thinking back to when everything happened back in 2020, some churches either didn't have anything to say or said things that sort of disheartened uh, members of, of their church. And yeah, going back to what um, Jonathan said about Martin Luther King, he was, he was a pastor um, of a church and yeah, he, he knew what God's call for justice was all about. And that's what, that's what he pursued. And I think the church just needs to find itself back in a state where um, it does pursue justice and injustice isn't something that we can't see we we all know that exists and we all know that happens and the, the church just needs to be more vocal in the world and I think that's why we have so many issues around young people not feeling like their churches are doing enough or saying enough and then they're trying to get out into these spaces where um you know people are seen seem to be more active but but we're not getting a full picture of what true justice is yeah, and I think something that's, that is so powerful about the civil righteousness movement specifically in their uh, response to the George Floyd thing was that it, it was the fact that their response was to be there, to be present. Mm. And, and I watched on their website the short film they've done, um, which kind of documents the five days after George Floyd's horrific death and the response there and seeing how people from different churches came about to support a church that was in the area and they were just giving out free food. They were just mm. being present. And there's something so powerful in, in what that communicates to a world, of uh, to a broken world, that actually at a time of absolute mess and evilness at its worst, the church was present. The church mm. showed up. The church said, we're here. And it steps into the mess. And isn't that just what Jesus did? Yeah. Like to all of us, like he, that is, ex that is exactly, it's almost like the footprint of Jesus in the mess in today's society mm. when the church does things like this yeah. and it makes me emotional thinking about it because it's it's the biggest way we can just show jesus it's to just show up it's to mm. just be present in the mess and, and the evilness that we see and i just thought that was really powerful and i think that's something why this movement's actually blown up as much as it has it's because th there's a presence of love that has come in the midst of utter despair and horrific racism and it's just beautiful to see a response of love come into something yeah. that's so wicked. I remember Jonathan saying that you know the, he was asked by one of the protesters whose side are you on mm -hmm. and he said we're on Jesus's side yeah and he's here for the police and he's here for you that that is who Jesus is um, but he also said when he was um, referring to Isaiah 42 that he was, yeah, he didn't come to the bruised reed to break it. And yeah, even those who are hurting and going through something, like Jesus is there to comfort yeah. and uplift and support. And it's something so simple, isn't it? Like the, the way in which part of that movement, what they do is they, they stand in the line and pray, silently praying with 
like they put tape on themselves with a word that they want mm. to for. So it might be forgiveness or action or mercy or justice. And I just think how powerful that is that you don't have to shout and go crazy, but yet in the silence of the prayer of your heart, change can come. Now that, that you can't have any change without God. So in doing that, the silence of the heart is the fact that we know we're talking to a God who can make the change happen. I just thought that was really profound, like something so simple, but yet what that what that symbolizes in terms of mm-hmm. who we're going to to make the change and that we're just vessels to bring that here on earth. But we just gotta yeah. show up. I think it's just yeah. being present in it. it. Even if we're scared and we don't understand, like, or we don't know what to say, or if someone was to hold a megaphone to us, like what would we say, you know? Mm-hmm. Jonathan he was bold enough to just be like listen there's no justice without Jesus like simple as that and that's like a headline statement but like it it makes you think like for us could we could we still walk in that boldness to say Mm. that as well and I'd hope that we can but man it's a it's a really big thing to think on isn't it yeah and I think even him like he didn't know like Jonathan didn't know that would that was what was going to happen they just knew that they needed to be like a place of like to be a mediator between them and like even when I asked him if he had any stories I kind of was expecting that he'd say oh you know the spiritual atmosphere changed you know you could tell that people felt felt a bit more peaceful and that he would just be like maybe in generations to come you'll know that like the land was healed I think I've never really thought about peace being that powerful before I think I've always seen peace as this kind of like soft thing that like it comes and then you feel a bit better but like peace actually like on a land or peace in like a people group or even just the way that like he was saying like peace is more powerful than anger so like he comes mm. to god with anger and it turns into this like peace and love yeah. and it just we've really dampened god's love to like this yeah. fluffy thing but it's not it like heals lands mm. and yeah so i think that that just really stood out to me of like what what in the presence of god can we help like flow in and help mm. i don't know just like pray into and release in places and let god be god and then what's he going to do we don't know but it'll be awesome mm. And with that peace as well, like Jesus said, doesn't he, to his disciples before he's going to die, he literally says to them, I leave you peace. And he's like, the peace I give you is not what the world gives. Different, like the peace of Jesus. And that's why it's so profound, because the peace of Jesus can heal. The final takeaway was just a reminder that we are, we've all been called into God's family and we're all brothers and sisters. And sometimes we... We don't always remember to advocate and fight for our brothers and sisters who are experiencing injustice. Well, yeah. Thank you, Matt and Zandit, for joining me. Guys, listen to the podcast episode again and again and again and again, because there's so much wisdom in there. And just, yeah, we, we wanted to do it at the start of 2022. So we just start this year looking at Jesus, looking at the church and believing that there's greater things possible. But it's about, yeah, just being part of like God's presence and what he's doing. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode. Look forward to that. But in the meantime, catch us on at We Are Tear Fun on Instagram and send us a DM if you want to chat about anything that we've discussed.